Welcome to the Luminous Podcast, weekly meditations, readings, and blessings to assist with our rest, peace, and spiritual wellness. You can find out more at LuminousAnglican.com. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Well, good morning. Uh, For those that we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Dan. My beautiful wife, Anita, is right there. And uh, we've been in this area for about 14 years in the gravitational pull of Luminous. And finally, we were happily pulled in, into the atmosphere, and now a great landing. So all is well. A few parachutes were involved, but we're good. we have uh, three children in their late 20s and early 30s who are just, just wonderful human beings and gifts to us. And, and uh, so we're at that kind of phase of the empty nesting phase of our lives. So the summer is less frenetic than it is for, I think, some others. And we're just we're loving that season of life. Um, just a little bit of trivia with a, a thought that I have about potlucks. Uh, my wife, you know, you see people here and we realize that we all have stories, but we often spend time just on the peaks and valleys of our stories talking about them. But there are deep stories all over the room, and and just a quirky piece of trivia that came to mind this morning uh, was that Anita's dad briefed the Joint Chiefs of Staff for three presidents on the Middle East. While my dad was briefing the media circus around the Three Mile Island nuclear disaster, anyone see the Netflix documentary? That's my hometown, literally. I have a third eye to prove it. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, we, we all have these layers of stories. And one of the things I love about potlucks is they're an opportunity to ask questions. They're an opportunity just to sit and find out more about someone and enter into uh, what I like to think of as a long listening uh, over years, actually going deep into the stories of people. And sometimes... You know, all learning is water dripping on stone. It takes repetition in order to to remember these precious things about people and God's faithfulness through their lives. So, awesome potluck food and awesome connection. So, our passage uh, for today in the gospel is from Matthew 11. And uh, I can't think of a more welcome passage to have for a homily uh, or a passage that carries more freight into each one of our lives and into truly human civilization. I'm not sure, and I think I can say this uh, arguably, that there are three more important words, vital words, prescient words, that speak into the entirety of the human condition and the invitation to human flourishing than occur in this passage. There are three words that have this capacity, this authority to pierce beyond the stories we tell ourselves, beyond our stories of belief that we've nurtured and cultivated over a lifetime and release us in a moment with the click of a key in a lock from fears, from shame, from hopes and dreams that have been misaligned with the heart of God in our lives. 
And they all come down to this one simple three-word invitation. And the authority of it is because of the lips from whom it comes. And those three words are come to me. And we're going to unpack that uh, just for a few moments. But I want to first just look at this context that leads up to it that was just read. We have this moment where Jesus is, is celebrating who John the Baptist, Baptist is and his place in the world. And he comes to this moment and he says this phrase, to what shall I compare this generation? Now, if someone stood here and said, to what shall I compare our generation? Everyone is ready for the metaphor. Like, okay, is he going to slam everyone? Is he going to elevate something? What's he going to do next? And we can imagine that there's, there's you know, this, this uh, silence that falls over the crowd and potentially some murmuring. What's he about to say? And he says this, this fascinating image. He says, it's, let's see, it's like children. Okay? children in a marketplace and they're they're calling out to one another you know hey we're, we're playing you a happy song but but you're not dancing okay that must mean you're sad so so we'll play you a truly sad morning song but you're not mourning either what's Jesus saying here he's saying you're a generation that's neither here nor there you're a generation that doesn't know what you want you're a generation that is unteachable that's resistant to all truth no matter where it's coming from because you've already decided the truth in your heart that will be the formula by which you live and according to which you will cause all others to need to be aligned for you to give them your approval. A friend of mine many years ago said to me, he said, Dan, self-deception is needing to believe something so badly you make yourself believe it. And he said, and the sad thing is it's not just out there. It's going on in here. And what does that create? This, this, this inability to just land and resolve, but in a way that's holy, in a way that's open, in a way that's yielded, in a way that allows for the word of God to come in and move the furniture that we have known to be in its secure places all our lives. What kind of a spirit is that? Well, he comes back later and he says, unless you become like a child, unless you return to innocence, unless you return to that sort of openness and purity and yieldedness to me with doors open rather than closed, you're not going to enter the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. So he speaks to this and he frames for them this, this vision of themselves. He's saying, you're to be the people of God, and instead, you're the people of the constant contradiction. You're a people of ceaseless dissatisfaction. You know, even you're pretentious. You're just, you're picky. You're selective. It's got to match what you think should be, what you need to believe is true. You're people of the everlasting agitation, and it makes you a people of the constant and low-level anxiety. You're never satisfied, never open, never teachable, always looking, never actually seeing, listening, but never actually hearing, caught up in your own inner turmoil and entrenching in false beliefs that distort how you see yourself, how you see others, how you see the world, and how you see the God who is approaching you even now with a love that's unimaginable. 
and he speaks into their generation and he speaks into ours simultaneously. And so from this, as he lays out before them this, this waffling, this, this you know, inner war that is constantly raging within them, he says, you know, I thank the Father because the Father often hides things from the smart, from the highly intelligent. And he's not saying there's a problem with being wise. What he's saying is there's a problem with being wise in our own eyes, with relishing in our opinions and the proliferation of ideas that have their roots as deep as our own experience. And he says, in other words, I thank you, Father, because you've hidden the deep things of life. If you like C.S. Lewis, you've hidden the deep magic, the deeper magic of Aslan. You've hidden it from the smart, the wise in their own eyes revealed it to the innocent, the open, the tender, the childlike. Those without guile, without an agenda, without self-deception, the ready to receive those who are like children. And then he speaks these three words, and if, you know, I had the controls, no need to do this, but I put reverb on these just to let them sit and linger, right? It's interesting, when the ancients read texts out loud, they read slowly. They sipped and savored words. We tend to gulp them. But he speaks in this moment these three words that precipitate and, uh, ideas that are deeply rooted in the Hebrew vision of the world. And he says... These three words, come to me. Come to me. So come. That's an invitation. If I, as a dad, said to any of my kids, you know, through their lives, come. According to the tone it was, <laughs> it always meant this way, right? It didn't mean go. It meant lean in. It meant draw near. It meant come close. It meant what Chad's talked about, proximity. Come, and the second word is to, meaning come toward. It literally, when these words are coupled together, they mean come to in a sense of follow. Come to be with, right? Learning to be. Come to be present to the presence of who? He didn't say come to your senses. For those who need to, to believe that it's our own efforts that are going to get us somewhere in this life. It's our own social media quotes and those that we follow in podcasts that are ultimately going to deliver us into the good life we all crave, right? Bliss and happiness. And he secondarily doesn't say, you know, come to an idea. Come to a concept that will set you free that you could live within and it'll put a, you know, a window on your closed little world and it'll help you breathe deep. He definitely doesn't say, come to church. And it's not that he's not saying we need to be in a community, but his point is not even in the richness and fullness of this, the true koinonia of the spirit, there will be something that sits even more central to it all. He says, come to me. Not a metaphysical category, not a generic divine vision. Come to me, the person of Jesus, whose very name means the Lord saves. The word salvation, 
If you see in the word salvation, the word salve at the front. What does a salve do? They're connected, those words. A salve heals wounds. It binds up broken things. It makes natural things work to their fullest and best possibility by design. And he speaks into this moment and he says, I am this way. I am this truth you're seeking for. I am this life. And the sooner you recognize it, the sooner your agitation will be released at the core of your being. And you will be truly set free. Now, some of us here have have lived long enough or had enough experiences in our lives to at some point in our lives have been perhaps literally had our lives saved by the word of God. And by that, I mean the living word speaking through the written word to bring a moment of revelation, a moment of deep encouragement, a moment of reorientation, a moment of freedom, a moment of order in chaos and circumstance that truly delivered us from one place to another. We actually became uh, a different person. I remember in high school, I became a Christian in high school. I was part of a, a religious family, of course, you know, in those nominal ways that you occasionally go to a church. And, and I had this youth group that was praying for me relentlessly, which I found out later after I became a Christian, relentlessly over years. And I remember when I heard that phrase come to me and I came to Jesus this weight of deep despair and anxiety. I mean, I was an Enneagram 4 before I knew how to be healthy, right? Just lift off of me. And I was captured by love. I was captured by love. And the word of God just came alive to me. I didn't even know how to make it boring. It just had such weight and authority and the spirit using it and moving. And in this moment, the living word is speaking this word, come to me. And they feel it pierce their spirits. And then he goes on, he says, come to me. An invitation to a person, all, meaning everyone, this banquet is for everyone, which was life mind altering. It's cognitive dissonance in psychology. They could not compute these words coming together. Come to me, all, and then the translation, which connects us to this idea, all you, naming us one by one, I see you, who are burdened, weighed down, carrying this great weight, and are heavy, with the cares of this life. Come to me, all you who are weighed down, and I will give you, and here's another word that resonates in the Hebrew story, I will give you rest. Now for us, we think rest. Some of you might take a nap this afternoon after a a heavy but delightful potluck, you know? Um, But the word rest here is a loaded term. And even though we see it in the Greek, for the Jews who were hearing this, they were hearing the entire hyperlink system, the thickly layered truth is the way we talk about it in theology. It's a multi-layered idea. They were hearing a cascade of penetrating truths that had been carried by their covenant people for thousands and thousands of years in the midst of the world as they knew it, being captured in a word, in an idea. He says... 
Come to me and I will give you rest. The very first word, or excuse me, the first time the word rest is used in the scriptures is Genesis 2-2. And on the seventh day, the day that had no morning or evening unlike all the other days, the day of eternal rest, it says that God rested. And no one there for a moment thought that that meant God needed a nap after creation, that he was really exhausted and fatigued. That was some rough stuff, guys. You know, it was really tough. I need, I need a little pause here. What they understood was this word rest, which we uh, recognize comes from the word Shabbat, which is the word that's used here, which is where we get the word Sabbath. Doesn't simply mean to rest physically. That's one small part of a very thick idea of Sabbath and Shalom rooted in the Hebrew mind. He says, come to me and you will find this Shabbat rest, this shalom, this deep, unalterable peace. And going back to that moment and seeing all the hyperlinks, what they recognized he was saying is the word Shabbat means to cease from something beautiful you have just done and to revel in it, to revel in its wholeness, to revel in its harmony, to revel in its beauty to celebrate, to delight in. Sabbath, you know, it's been carried, you know, Sabbath has been practiced for over 30 centuries by a particular group of people every seven days. And we're like, I don't know if the idea is really important to us, <laughs> right? But thousands of years later, what it was meant to be was a moment of ceasing and stopping the commerce and the noise, and in their case, the slavery, the work. They had not known anything else. And coming to a place of resting and reveling in all the goodness of life. All the goodness of life in relationships, in food, in the taste of good food, in community, in koinonia. That's what that word meant. He was saying, come to me in the midst of your agitation." your endless irritation and dissatisfaction, your scrambling for promises and words and truths that will give you the good life. Come to me and I will give you wholeness, harmony, all those things you know that you need deep down to be a flourishing human being. I am the source of it. And then of course he finishes the passage with this simple idea. He uses a, a rabbinical idiom. He says, take my yoke upon you. Well, that was rabbi speak for something. Every rabbi had a yoke, right? And it was an image of the ox shouldering life. And he said, here's my yoke as a rabbi. I want to teach you the way to shoulder life. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And it comes from the wellspring, the source spring of intimacy with me. That's the way this works. Jesus at the center. Come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, agitated, disoriented, fearful, self-confident, self-absorbed, frenetic, and I will give you wholeness, fullness, intimacy, communion, peace, and the gifts of God that you need for this if you would like more information or ways to be a part of Luminous, please go to LuminousAnglican.com.
Peace be with you.